Welcome everybody to episode one, session one of Reality Sessions. My name is Ben Harp and man, I am super excited about uh, going on this journey with everyone to, to really explore kind of the human side of our faith. What is reality? Okay, so if you look up the word reality in Webster's Dictionary, the definition it gives is that it is the quality or state of being real. Okay, well, before we understand reality then, we have to understand what it means to be real. So if you look at that definition, being real is behaving or presented in a way that feels true honest or familiar and without pretension or affectation now affectation uh, is the definition of affectation is speech or conduct not natural to yourself it's an unnatural form of behavior that's meant especially to impress others uh, another definition for that is it's the act of taking on or displaying an attitude or mode of behavior not natural to oneself and not genuinely felt so what is reality reality is being real behaving in a way that's real which means there's no pretense and there's no pretending to be something but there's also uh, no unnatural behavior that's meant to impress others and so the whole idea of this is reality sessions okay we're gonna take some time uh, every week to really peel back the different layers that we see especially from the ministry side of our faith right as we go out and we share with uh, with others our faith and especially those that are pastors those that, that teach uh, in those ways sometimes we get lost in the expectation and our behavior and who we are sometimes our self-identity get be, kind of becomes lost uh, and is based on others expectations of who we are and so we, I, I kind of want to take this podcast and really explore just the human side of all of those variables uh, not look at what people expect us to be or how they expect us to behave not trying to impress anybody but just really here just to present real stories of real people People that demonstrate real faith in the middle of real problems this is all about being real it's all about reality it's all about accuracy no affectation right no pretense I grew up uh, as a pastor's kid and a youth pastor's kid so all of those jokes about uh, PKs and YPKs you get to uh, I guess double dip with me because my dad was both he was a, a pastor when I was very young and then he was my, my youth pastor from the time I was 14 until I was an adult uh, and I grew up uh, in in those areas in those fields with my dad pastoring being my youth pastor grew up in rural Missouri and then in Western Kentucky uh, I'm one of four kids I have an older brother and two younger sisters so I was the middle child and and for those of you that are middle kids you know what that means right so what it's like being in the middle and and in some ways and I always joke about it and say I, I really had it worse because I was the second boy there was nothing special about me right my, my brother was the oldest so he's the the oldest and he's the older brother if you will the firstborn and then I come along and it's another boy and then my oldest sister was born first girl and then my baby sister was born so uh, being in the middle sometimes it definitely felt like you get lost right you, you know you don't get all of the fanfare that some of the other siblings get it felt like as a kid uh, so I joke about it now you know um, that, that you know being in the middle is not a fun place to be sometimes um, but I, I grew up with four siblings uh, in ministry my dad is a pastor and uh, you know we didn't have a lot of fun a lot of money we struggled from time to time financially so we didn't have a lot of the things that other people have and 
and there's there's one particular thing that uh, kind of just stands out to me. And when I was a kid, I had this bicycle, and I guess I was eight, uh, and it was for my birthday. And I really wanted the bicycle for my birthday because my brother had a bike, and he rode it, and we would fight over it because that's what brothers do, right? And uh, so I really wanted my own bicycle to ride. And that's all I wanted for my birthday. And so that year, again, this was when I was eight or nine years old, uh, I got a bicycle. So the bicycle that I had, uh, it wasn't a new bicycle. It was, uh, it had been used. Uh, it was actually a bunch of different bicycles that parts of it had been uh, pulled together to create one bicycle. So the colors were different. It was uh, different wheels that originally came on. It had a banana seat, uh, and then eventually it had a, a different seat on it. Uh, it had different handlebars than, than what, was, what was normal, and it was rusted in places and different colors, and it was broken, and it was beaten, and it was uh, rusted in places. But I remember that bicycle so far. Not because it was good, because it was mine. I remember it and I appreciated it because it was mine. I love that bicycle. And that thing was a death trap, okay? I learned to ride my bike on that and it hurt me so many times over. The chain would not stay on. It would fall off constantly. Uh, I have scars from that bike. I, I bled from that bicycle. It was a Frankenstein pieced together from parts of other bicycles, entirely unreliable and dangerous. It, Like I said, I have scars from that bicycle and from, from from riding that bicycle and but I remember that bicycle so much because it was mine and it was my first bicycle it was what I learned on and you know I was thinking about this and we kind of all have our bicycles each one of us have our own little bicycle our, our past it's not necessarily good when we look back at our past it's not not something good not something we brag about not something we carry pictures around but it's it's not something that we should run from either but it's something we should remember and appreciate for what it taught us you see that that beat-up bicycle taught me how to ride a bike yeah it hurt me many many times it was unreliable it was pieced together from other bicycles so it wasn't even, you know, its own thing. It was a collection of other things. And so it wasn't good, but it was something that I remember and I appreciate it for what it taught me, just like we should our past, our own individual uh, bicycle. Uh, yeah, we look back at our past, we remember how the chain fell off over and over, how life kept going off the rails and it wasn't consistent and we would get hurt and we would get broken down and, and our, we look back in the past and we realize that our life hurt us many, many times and we, we have scars still. I, I have scars right now that I still carry from my bicycle. And we know all the influences from other people that created that Frankenstein because a lot of times our past is really a, a collection of others' experiences and influences on us that uh, people poured into us and you know, because of their influence and because of the people we associated our, with ourselves with uh, and, and those types of things, we become something. We become little uh, pieces of other people that are reflected in us as a Frankenstein but it's our bicycle. It's what taught us to ride. Your past is what taught you to ride. It's your bicycle. It's what taught you to get back up and try, try again. And you knew the chain wasn't going to stay on. You, you knew you're going to get bloodied and bruised, but you keep going. You keep learning from those lessons. 
And that was kind of my, my thing is, you know, as I'm going through this and thinking about my story and my childhood and my past and all of those things. And it, it, it carries so many parallels with that rusty beat up bicycle. Not good, but it's mine. It taught me how to ride. It taught me how to get hurt and get back up and keep going. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, in Scripture, all of these different things about the future, right? Yeah, and, and I'm going to throw some scriptures out there. We're going to look at those here in just a second. Uh, but Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah 29.11, Psalm 139, uh, John 1.48, all these scriptures are specific to certain individuals or certain events, and we'll look at those in a second. But it, to me, it demonstrates the forward-thinking nature of God. Because all through Scripture, he's constantly looking ahead, laying the foundation for people and things to come. Work, you know, work, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. He's, he's constantly working things together for good, for what we will be, not for who we were, not for who we are, but who we're going to be. You go all the way back uh, into Genesis and Exodus as he's talking about the Israelites, and he's always forward-thinking. Even when he's talking to Abraham, he says, your people will be my people, and they will cover this earth as the as the sands on the seashore he's always looking forward looking past the present into what is going to be and it's constantly that way so in jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 and i'm going to read these scriptures just real real briefly and kind of go over these in jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 uh, jeremiah it says uh, the word of the, the Lord, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. You see, Jeremiah, God, God tells Jeremiah, before you were ever a thing, I knew you. I knew who you were before you existed. And I know that Jeremiah right there, God is speaking directly to Jeremiah about his plans for him. But again, it reflects the nature of God to see you and know you and plan for you before you are even in existence. It's just incredible that he doesn't love us for who we were because we were not. We weren't and he still knew us. He loved us and created a plan for us. In Psalm chapter 139, Psalm 139, verse 13 through 18, fantastic passage here. David says, for you formed my inward parts and covered me in my mother's womb. It means you, you created me in my mother. You placed me in my mother's womb. You made me from the inside out and placed me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. You, you knew me even when you were putting me together, essentially, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance. Again, this is before he was formed, the substance of something that didn't even exist, being yet unformed. Verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. You seen through the, the haze of the future to what I would be, to who I would become. As you formed me. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me. You had a plan for me before I even existed, when as yet there were none of them. There were no days yet. And yet God had a plan and had all of his days spelled out and planned out. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. 
When I awake, I am still with you. I want you to remember that if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. How great is the sum of them. Precious are your thoughts towards me. How, how precious is God's thoughts towards us? Man, it's incredible. You, you skip on down, you know, because here we're talking, you know, God tells Jeremiah, hey, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. I had a plan for you before you were even in your mother's womb. Then, then David says, hey, you formed my inward parts. You put me together and placed me in my mother's womb. But before then, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. You saw me before I even was. David says, you knew all of this before I existed. But God doesn't just remember and know us before we exist. If you skip over to John chapter 1 and uh, verse 48, and he had already called Nathaniel, or he had already called Philip, and had brought him to him as, as, a, as a disciple, and Philip went to go get Nathaniel. And he went to Nathaniel and he said, hey, come, come, come meet this man from Nazareth that is, is a teacher uh, it's the one that Moses spoke about. And his name's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says to Philip, man, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We all know those towns that we think that way, right? Like there's nothing good that can come out of that town or that neighborhood. Or, you know, unfortunately, hey, we're being real here. Sometimes we, we think that about other churches. Can anything good come out of that place, right? So Nathaniel says, oh, okay, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and Philip says, well, you just come and see. Just come and look. Come and find out. And so in John chapter 1, verse 47 and 48, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said, How do you even know me? Nathanael says, I've never even met you. How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, Listen, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. When Nathanael was doing his own thing, completely oblivious to the very existence of Jesus, the very existence of a God that loved him and, and was, was, had a plan for his life. He was completely oblivious to it. And in that moment, Jesus seen him when he was completely enamored with his own life, his own thing. He tells Nathaniel, I seen you when you were still under the tree, before you even knew who I was. Before you cared about me, I cared about you, and I seen you. Let me tell you something. Jesus sees you way before you see him, or even know that he exists. And his love and his affection for you is far stronger than your suspicion or your doubt. Again, going back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, very familiar scripture, but I want to challenge you, go back and read that entire chapter, the entire chapter of Jeremiah chapter 29. The, the scripture there, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans uh, to, to prosper you and not harm you, to give you a hope and a future, a very, very familiar verse. But if you go back and read that whole chapter, he's talking to the Israelites that were taken away and had to, to live for a season in a place that wasn't their home. And he's telling them, listen, live there, succeed there, dwell there, stay there. It's not pretty. You're not going to want to be there, but blossom where you're planted, if you will. Be in that dark place that you don't want to be at, 
that you know is not what my plans are, but, but be there, dwell there, make your life there, because in the end, God says, I have a plan for you to give you a hope and a future, and I'm going to bring you back to the place where I have designed and destined you to be. You see, sometimes we have to dwell in dark places for a season. God sees our present, but he also sees our future. He sees where we're at, the dark places in our life that we don't want to be. He sees that, but he also sees our future that he has, has made, has developed. Uh, one version says that uh, he is conscious about the thoughts he has for us. Conscious. He, he, they're, they're conscious thoughts. He knows about them. For I know the thoughts I have for you. Again, David says that those thoughts, if you go back to Psalm 139, David says those thoughts are as the sand on the seashore. He says in Jeremiah, I know the thoughts. So many that it's as much as the sand on the seashore. Number greater than the grains of sand. I know the thoughts I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future plan to do something in you, through you, and with you, to give you a hope and a future and to prosper you. Not necessarily your definition of prosperity, but his. You see, the great thing is that God doesn't love us for who we are. He loves us for who he is. It's not about who you were. It's not about the bicycle, right? Listen, I don't want that bicycle back. I, I, I don't want anybody to see that bicycle, right? But that bicycle, I remember it. I remember every, every curve on it, every bumpy bump in the seat, every little piece about it I remember because it made me, it taught me things. You may not want people to see your past or, or know even certain things about your past, but I'm telling you what, embrace the lessons that you learn from your past. So appreciate the bicycle. Look back on the beat up thing that tormented you, that you, your past, the things in your life, your failures, Look back on those things and learn from those events, knowing that God's seen you on the bicycle. He sees you in the present. But more than that, he sees what you are becoming, where you will be. So embrace it. Become what you were intended to be, not what someone else says you're supposed to be. That, my friend, is real. <laughs> 